Hey man, how are you? Uh, good, thanks. How are you doing? Glad you turned up to the right space today. What? Having having retweeted my scam account. I love how you you must follow that account, right? You must have thought that was me. It, it was weird because I I saw you tweeted it earlier, and I was like, I swear I retweeted this, and then I and then I I don't know how that one appeared on my feed, but so yeah, I retweeted the wrong one. Um, but I spoke to that guy, I spoke to the scam account, and. He's a really good guy, actually. I think he's just kind of like a better version of yourself. So you spoke to him. Yeah, we got some good, we had some good, bin, good banter in the DMs. I was like, "Yeah, we should go get, you should go get a drink." Like, you just, you know, you just seem like a really nice guy. You sent us some ETH. <laughs> and then, yeah, then he, I was like, "Do you want to go grab grab some beers tomorrow?" He's like, "Yeah, just, um, uh, I just need a couple of ETH to uh, to fund my train ticket." So I was like, "Yeah, sure." And I just sent it to like greatmendo.eth. That's your ENS, right? Yeah, yeah, of course. He, he put a few links in there for you to uh, to sign. Yeah, he did. He did. He sent. Um, he was like, "Ah, oh, this is like uh, my new house. Come check it out." And the link was like, uh, "Rightmove dot x dot y dot io" or something like that. Um, so I clicked in, connected my wallet and stuff. And uh, yeah, it's weird. Like, there's nothing in my wallet anymore, so I'm not really sure what happened, but. <laughs> I'm sure it's all good. <laughs> He's a great guy, though. He's a great He's guy. He's a great guy, yeah. He's a great guy. <laughs> One of the best. One of the best. How was your, how was your weekend? Um, yeah, it was good, thanks. I, can't, I played golf on Saturday. Saw my parents on Sunday. Pretty chilled, actually. Um, how about you? Yeah, good. Beautiful, beautiful period in Lisbon. I've been doing a lot of oh, running, yeah. actually. Oh, yeah. yeah. Have you so yeah, get, are, you, are you able to run now post your um your hip surgery? Post my hip off. Yeah, uh, yeah the, the new hip is doing well. Um I managed to managed, it's decent, it's nice to run here. Um I love I just don't even know, like do, do you think it's believable that it, it's it's like we don't even talk? Because I feel as though we've probably spoken for about six hours a day for the last three days. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was actually, okay. I had a question. I guess we only really talk about work, though. We don't really get into the details of we each other's really lives, apart from, yeah. apart from on these calls. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, you should come down. Are you going to come down to Lisbon? Come, come check it out? Yeah. Essentially move here? Give me some dates. Actually, my, my wife has just gone to meet your wife in London, so. Oh, oh really? Wow. I'm sure, I'm, yeah. I'm sure they'll, uh, I'm sure they'll all Doxed. something. Yeah. Doxed. Um, um, I had a question, actually, for, for you. Um, are you the youngest person ever to have a have hip surgery is that like an official record or um you know what i i went in there and apparently it's very common it's very common the the issue that i had they when i went in they were like oh are you a footballer they asked me if i was a footballer because apparently it's very common footballers so um i'm gonna throw that back right in your face it's it's actually (laughs) from doing too much exercise apparently right um yeah, yeah, it's not. It's not that that uncommon. Apparently, Andy Murray had it. A few other sports stars have had it. It's it's a it's a very very common ailment. So, I um, although I have to admit, like the post the post surgery period where I'm hobbling around on some crutches, um, and I have to tell people it's because I have a bad hip. It's it's not a good look. Not a good look. That. Well, look, I'm I'm glad um I'm glad you're doing better post your hip replacement and. Uh... You know, if you uh, if you ever need a hand or anything, just let me know. So I, I think Farouk is coming today. I, I don't know. He is. I he, messaged just, him. he said his he said his Wi Fi is restarting or something. So, oh, fantastic! He's been in Coachella, right? I think he he got FOMO, and then as soon as we said that we were canceling the Monday show, 
Um, you weren't there for that cancellation, actually. I don't think you'd left. But um, yeah, we can't. We decided to cancel the Monday show on on Friday. Ah, um, I see. And he, I think he immediately probably booked tickets to Coachella and I think met a, a ton of people down there. Wow. All right. Well, there you go. So I don't know. Should we get into it? We've got quite a good show today. Um, yeah. Quite a big one, at least. Um, we've got Snowfro already in the audience. He's, uh, we're going to do an origin story with him slightly later. Let me post the main topics. But it's been quite a busy weekend, right? There's so much has happened. Moonbirds. Oh, my God. The coat from Moonbirds has been tough to deal with. Went up to 23 ETH. Then we've got um, the Azuki reveal. Like, do, do we like that? Do we like the beans? Then um, all the board ape stuff has been ripping today, and all the related projects. So all of those are up quite a lot today. There's some, there's some quote unquote alpha out there about what this could mean. Um, it definitely feels like there may be some forms of not insider trading, but people are, are definitely trading on on this on this alpha. Um, and yeah, then we'll get into into Snowfro and, and the there's been there's been um, a lot of interest because it looks like there's going to be a, a reminting of the Chromie Squiggles, um, and we can get into that story perhaps when uh, when we have Snowfro up as well. Yeah, sounds good. Do you want me to get into the do the, the quick update kind of thing? Yeah, why not? We might as well get into it. Um, so, what's been going on for the last three days? So, uh, I think the main thing is interest rates keep going higher, which is not really a surprise, but um, I think that's what's been weighing on the market. Um, but yeah, like the, the entire treasury curve, like five year, 10 year, 30 years, all at um, year to date highs today. So interest rates have been selling off. And, you know, as we discussed last week, that usually hasn't, usually has like a negative impact on stocks, which then usually has a negative impact on crypto. We did see that yesterday. There was like a, you know, ETH was like at 2.9K. I think Bitcoin is down to almost 38K. All the alts got wrecked by, 50, you know, 10, 15%. Um, I'm kind of surprised to see everything bounce back today. Like stocks are up 2%. Nasdaq's up 2%. Crypto is back up. Like eight coins up 10%. Um, ETH is almost at 3.1, north of 3.1K. So it's just been like a complete reversal in the space of 24 hours. I don't really know what caused it but i'm sure a lot of people probably got a bit carted in that move i'm not really sure exactly what happened but i was a little bit surprised that today's crypto rally and equity rally actually to be honest with you i mean crypto like broad crypto twitter has just felt so bearish for so long um so i don't think positioning is that long here like that that's my general general sense of stuff i don't know if there are shorts but like as we as we dropped lower it was all about, oh, we're going to Goblin Town. You know, ETH's going down to 2,000 or whatever the hell it is. And it just immediately went so bearish that it just made me feel as though people aren't as long as they perhaps have been. Um, and there's definitely some shorts in the market. I, I think the second derivative of this is that, yeah, it's very it's, – it's, it's not good that rates are nearly at 3%. That's, that's the highest since 2018. And even in 2018, it only touched there for, what, a month or two um and then you you kind of going back around a decade before they were at this level but i um i kind of feel like that's n- not kind of telling you that you might not be heading for a horrific recession right if 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 rates were um a lot tighter or at least they weren't widening as much people would be assuming that the stock market and the broader like um economy is going to get absolutely 
destroyed here. But the fact that they're rising makes me feel like we're heading towards like a stagflation environment, which we've spoken about quite a few times. Um, and in that environment, it's still it's still unclear what happens with stocks and what happens with the crypto. So um, I think I think that's definitely my general thought on this, and that the fact that they're continuing to rise is is almost medium term bullish because it, it kind of says that we're not going to be in a scenario where um, you know the economy is down ten fifteen percent. I I have I kind of have a different different read on it to you. I think they have to be higher because it's just like. I think a recession is a foregone conclusion. How deep it will be, we don't know yet. But there is no other way they can combat inflation, which is too high at the moment, other than raising interest rates. And look, like last time, 10-year was, the the highs at 10-year got to, right now, 10-year interest rates in the US, 10-year treasury yields are, um, I I believe, like 200, uh, 290 basis points, just north of 290 basis points. It got all the way up to about 340, 350, I think, in 2018. And that was right before this big sell-off at the end of 2018. But back then, inflation, US inflation was like about 3%, maybe maybe below 3%, actually, like 2.5-3%. Right now, it's north of 8%, and interest rates are still 50 basis points lower than where they were back then. So I don't, I don't think the rates market selling off and interest rates going higher is telling you that the likelihood of a recession is lower. I think it's higher because the Fed literally has no other choice but to raise it. And what will ensue afterwards is it will co- it will tackle inflation or combat inflation, but obviously it's way more expensive to borrow. Spending will go down and you will have a recession. And I think it could be quite a bad one, but I think it will be one that's that will be felt harder by lower income households, which is the sad thing about it. I think that's 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 what happens in a stagflation environment. You end up having like low unemployment, you have high inflation, and it's lower income households that feel the brunt of that. So I think that's the way things are headed, um, which is like, you know, it may not fit like, you know, if you're like a business, if you're like a big business, or if you're like an investment bank, or if you're like trading crypto, or whatever, you may not feel that, you may not feel that bad, but um, I think it could get pretty ugly. Yeah, no, I, I I agree with you. I think it's more stagflation. Though. I just don't think we'll get like a horrific recession like you felt before, but it will feel really bad for lower middle income households for sure, the way this is this is heading. Like um, you're going to get growth kind of 0 to 2% and then you get inflation like 5 to 8%. So it's going to feel like a recession of like 5%, 6%, which is going to feel really tough. Um, but what happens with crypto and, and even stocks, like in a stagflationary environment, there's been a lot of arguments recently that stocks are perhaps not even the worst uh, asset class to be in because you end up like the top line of most of these companies goes up, like revenues go up. Um, sometimes that can lead to higher higher cash flows as well. So like, I don't know that there's definitely been if you look if you look through like equity, um, equity strategy reports, there's been a lot of talk at least in the last couple of weeks about the fact that stag if we have for stagflation that maybe stocks won't get decimated um and then yeah we've spoken a few times about what we think could happen to crypto here but um i think the the, the what you said at the start which is the like the the um aggressiveness of this move has been has been something which has kind of taken everyone by shock i think so um i think you're going to continue to see these like massive wobbles uh, on the over the next few over the next few months, how you doing, Farouk? How, how was uh, how was uh, Coachella? And we know you FOMO. GM fam, 
We know you FOMO'd in there. Yeah, do you guys hear me while I'm having very bad Wi-Fi out of all things today? The you one sound that horrific. <laughs> Is it bad? You sound so bad. Um, yeah, we can. Whereabouts are you? Same place as usual. Just today, the Wi-Fi is just not it. Damn oh, it. that sucks. That sucks. We, we can keep on. We can keep on laxing. Yeah, we can keep on talking until then. Um, but we can ma- maybe get into what's been happening in NFTs a bit, um, OSF. Like, what, what do you think is a? Uh, yeah, it's been it's been a pretty crazy few days. So, like, it's it's the highest, um, the, the highest three days in, in months. I think the, I, I posted earlier that we've done about five hundred million of volume over the last three days. That's more than the first six months of two thousand twenty one combined. Um, this is definitely the highest. We're kind of heading back towards the figures we saw in January where everything went absolutely nuts. Obviously, this is all pretty much down to one collection, but you're now seeing, as we said, like we said this, that everyone was talking about the idea this was going to be some sort of liquidity trap. Um, and now it feels as though the love is being shared across a bunch of different projects because the amount of new money that has come into the space. Um, today in particular, it feels like a lot of projects are up, even even with Moonbirds down. Do you want to do you want to kind of go into your thoughts on, on everything? Yeah, I mean, oh my, oh my gosh, what's a what's a horrible liquidity suck the Moonbird thing was, and it you know it was really sad to see that. That was that was me being sarcastic, by the way. I don't, I don't know if anyone got that, but <laughs> really, it was a really it was a really bad, really really bad version of that. I felt but like as a British person, you should be better at than that. <laughs> um, so yeah, so when Moonbirds came, I mean, look, it was a two and a half ETH min. They sold. Uh, 8,000 publicly, which I think they ended up taking in 70 million. So people were worried, rightly so, I guess, were worried that it was going to be a liquidity suck. But, you know, it's it's bollocks, to be honest. It's like it's just people not really thinking about it properly or people who missed out um, on the uh, on the raffle. And, you know, I didn't get any of the raffle. I didn't even buy any Moonbirds. I haven't touched Moonbirds. But it, it it's not hard to see that what happened is actually a massively positive um, event for the entire market. And Yes, at that split second in time when people use their ETH to buy Moonbirds, there is an outflow of ETH into the Moonbirds. Yes, that's right. But, you know, like since when did judging the NFT market in a, in a split snapshot in time make any sense? And if you look at all the collections since Moonbirds launched, they're all up. Everything is higher. And not only that, Moonbirds has done like, what is it like north of i haven't looked at how much today but it must be like 250 million dollars worth of like trading and, and volume in the space of just three days that's insane like they've traded that there's more float there's more trade on moonbirds and mooncats and mooncats is a project since 2017 so like it's actually brought an unbelievable amount of liquidity to the nft market more than any other project has actually since mutants and look what happened with mutants. Mutants came at two and a half ETH or three ETH, I think it was. And now they're at 30. So all those people have, you know, it's, it's created 10 times that value. And yes, like creating value does not equate to liquidity on day one. But creating value in the NFT market, in the NFT ecosystem is huge. It's huge for like the long, medium and long-term viability of the entire market. Um, and look, as people get rich, just think about how many people got rich on apes and mutants and how they spent their money on other projects. Like the same thing's gonna happen on Moonbirds. The same thing has been happening on Moonbirds. You've seen other projects go up. And the nice thing about Moonbirds was that it was a raffle. Like they like it was a it was a public raffle. I know some of it got gained, but 
at the end of the day, there was no gas wars or anything like that. It wasn't just like whales coming in, sweeping towns to supply. The distribution was very good. It's like six, almost 7,000 unique owners. And, you know, just like, you know, some of my friends who aren't NFT whales were able to get Moonbirds and they made like 15, 20 ETH on it. Like that's created massive wealth. That's undoubtedly a, a huge, huge positive for the market. So look, anyone telling you that's a liquidity stock, anyone who keeps telling you that just because a project is trying to take out or trying to make 50 million or, or 100 million, whatever it is, and on a primary sale, and is, is categorically liquidity stock, it's, it's not right. It depends on who the creators are. It depends on if that project can actually go up in price and higher in price. And if it does, it's massive value creation. It's massive wealth creation across the NFT market. And that's what's happened in this case. That's what happened with mutants. It's what will happen with more projects. But, you know, everyone has an aversion to people making money and people will, will undoubtedly flood things when they come in trying to, trying to make um, make a big ticket. And look, just compare this to Pixelmon, the whole thing rug. That was for sure a liquidity stock. That was value destruction. But this is the exact opposite. Yeah, I thought it was crazy to hear the, the narratives between the two. Like, imagine the, the Venus Sports Pass, $26 million that went into gas got forgotten far quicker than the Moonbirds sucking money out of the market. Like they both did, they both were about the same, right? Or no, sorry, I guess one of them 70 million versus 26 million, but 26 million is still a massive amount. Um, this, this, I, I agree. I think it's really good for the market. I think a lot of people will have made money. This would be a lot of people's first um, NFTs. It does sound as though, um, you know, there'll be a lot of people who followed, we followed Kevin Rose in his Web2 career and on his podcast and, and pro- maybe even knew him, um, which would have been br- brought into the NFT market via this sort of drop. So um, I think that's, that's good to see this many kind of new people, um, particularly other people on, on, who are like at the, you know, the bleeding edge of tech probably that came into, has come into NFTs through drops like this. Um, and I think it's, it says a lot like, there was a post the other day which I read, which is about the idea that NFT funding, if it's done right, is the best funding in the market right now. Like, why, if you have a great idea, would you go to a VC when you can raise money in this way? You build a loyal supporter base who want to see you succeed as long as you bring in kind of Web3 values. Um, and you don't have many of the constraints as a creator that you would with other things. Now that that's that goes both ways, and that you get a lot of like scamming. But you could see some incredibly smart people with smart ideas come now to the NFT market. Um, there's no doubt in my mind that people will read the headline of two Web two entrepreneurs raise seventy five, eighty five million, whatever it was, from Drop. Um, with with idea about building kind of whatever web web three brand or um like a web three community there will be so many other people who know kevin rose from his history um and his podcast like he's he he's interviewed so many famous tech um people from the last last decade who will look at stuff like that and be like why shouldn't i do that i put like a tongue-in-cheek thing the other day being like what if elon Musk just does a ten thousand drop like he could probably raise like a billion or close to it. Right. Like I think that could probably, he could probably raise a drop with like a 50 to a hundred ETH floor, um, which is, which is kind of nuts. But at the same time, you're going to see some very smart minds come to this space. If this is now seen as a new way of funding ideas. Yeah. Look, I think the idea of it being a way to fund is a little bit dicey because 
you know, like when you raise VC money or when you raise yeah, like an IPO or whatever it is, like when you look for funding, there's a bit, there's usually like a bit more regulation or a bit more information that's provided or you're, you're at least protected legally in some respects. So like when, when the idea of it being a way to raise money, like, yes, like if you buy something good and they, and they could create this and they return a lot of value and it ends up being a good investment. That's great. But it also opens it up to being abused, which we've seen a lot as well. Of course. So, like, I don't, I don't love that. Like, I don't love the notion of like, I know people will come and do it, but the people that come and do it, like even Moonbirds, by the way, like imagine if Moonbirds was like a seed investment and it was presented that way to VCs, it'd be completely different. You'd have way more information. Like with Moon, you know, it's probably going to do well because you know, Kevin Rose and Ryan Carson uh, have been in tech, have been tech entrepreneurs for 20 years. Like they, they know this game inside out, but um, you know, like all you really have is this website, which tells you a few vague things and that's it. And compare, and if, however, if Moonbirds was like, this is like, you know, if it's being pitched to VCs, so actually for the purpose of like, we're raising financing to do this, it'd be way different. You have a whole pitch deck, you get on a Zoom call with the founders, you, you, you do way more due diligence. So like, I don't love the idea of like, this is the best way for people to come and raise capital because I think that will get abused. And I think investors aren't protected enough because it's fine if you and I invest in it or probably most of this audience because people, you know, most people know what they're doing, but there's a lot of people who will buy this shit and they have no idea what they're doing, no idea what they're really getting into. And I think that part of it needs to kind of like, not necessarily be regulated, but needs to be clearer. So I don't love the yeah. idea of, of it I'm not saying that I don't, that way. I'm not saying that I don't think that it will, um, it's more risky. Like we don't have consumer protection. We don't have regulation, but there is no doubt in my mind that like what is actually stopping someone from Elon Musk just raising a few billion dollars in this market? Like you will get, there is nothing. And we can all say this consumer protection and, and maybe there'll be more eyes from, from um, regulators. If this now turns into various different like tech VCs, like for example, Jack just left Twitter. He could easily come in, probably do a similar sort of drop, right? And probably raise a lot of money um, doing something like that for funds, which is kind of a go anywhere fund for himself. Now, at the moment, there's no regulation. I don't think you'll have regulation for another few years. So I just think that we're going to see more and more of this. And why, what I mean is it's the best form of raising money. It is the best form of raising money from the person raising the money, perhaps not from the person um, buying. But you, it, it, for, that, for that reason, you will get some very, very good drops. And this is maybe just an example of this. Replace Kevin Rose with whatever tech, um, tech founder which you love that person could easily come in and do do something similar. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Does this work now? You... Sorry. Yeah. You're back. God damn it. Yeah. No, I like everything y'all are saying. Uh, I think you're ex- I, you share my thoughts, so I won't go about it too long. Uh, obviously, coping because missed the boat here. But, you know, they did a good job. And uh, they should be proud of themselves, honestly, like as founders to achieve something so big so fast. Like, it's not easy. I think people think it's easy. Um, it's really hard. Like, they go, oh, hey, look at this. It's worth so much. Why is that not worth that much? But, like, I, I see a lot of, like, like I'm on the I'm on the side of people that didn't even get one. Like, I was going to get one Saturday. And I was like, ah, fuck it. Like, it's going to dip by Wednesday. But, like, it never happened. And at 20th, I was like, ah, I don't feel like it. But, like, it's, 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 I see so much, like, so many people have this opinion like, oh, why is this going up and not that? And I 
hate it. Like, there's nothing that pisses me off more in our space in comparison. Or in general, I mean, it's so unhealthy and toxic in your personal lives. But it's like, or founders of projects. And I'm a founder myself. And my floor isn't super high. And they're like, why is my floor not up? And that floor is up there. Well, fuck you, motherfucker. Like, you know, like, why, what, what does that have to do with the price of eggs? You know, like, I think people need to stop like this you know, try to compare everything and try to compare anything as well. Like, why is Bored Ape this and Moon Birds that? Dude, like, Bored Ape had their moment and they're still having it. They just broke more records today at 30 ETH. Like, this is crazy. Even the apes are crushing. They're like king of the hill. And so it's just like, I don't know. There's just this, like, weird like, thing. Everything someone shoots up. Now, we've never really seen this kind of shooting up, which is insanity. And it's, whoa, like, I don't know what it is. There's this, that. I don't think anybody, like, there's no science behind it either. Uh, it just is what it is. But I think it's a very interesting experiment. Like, it's it's pretty wild. Um, I'm very excited to see what they're going to do next. And hopefully at some point, they're going to try and get in there. I saw this morning, the dip was like 15 And I was waiting for that price point. But it was too early here, so I guess I didn't see it. I woke up and it got eaten up. It's pretty wild. Yeah, I look, think there I, is. I think I was gonna say. I think there is some science to it. Like I bet you these guys, right? K. Ro- Kevin Rose and Ryan Carson. They've been in technology, specifically in the internet business, for twenty plus years. Web one. Go to Ryan Carson's website. It literally says Web one, Web two, and now I'm a big believer in Web three. So they know what they're doing. And not only that, like they have. Just think about all the connections they have, right? And once again, for everyone saying this is liquidity suck, no, because what they've probably done. I bet you anything what they've done is they've brought in a ton of new money into the space. They probably have, just think about all their uh, business friends, their VC friends. I think about the t- all the guys that are like, shit, like, I don't have anything NFTs. I want to get involved. How do I get involved? And then Kevin Rose is like, oh, hey, look, hey, man, you know me. Like, I've known you, I've known you for, for 10 years or 20 years or whatever, and we're doing this project. Why don't you guys come and invest in this as your first NFT investment? And I bet you they've been out to every single person that they know from their combined 40 years in tech and have been like look at you know we're doing moonbirds get involved and they've probably brought in a ton of new money into the space a ton of new money that's why the price is doing what it is because you probably have some like some real guys coming in buying the shit you know and it's just one of those things like you have to you have to understand like we, we sit here on twitter all day and that's most of that's the primary source of information for a lot of people that's the only source of information for a lot of people but at the end of the day it's just like, it's people like you or me sitting in like their living rooms, just tweeting what they see and, you know, saying random shit. When you have guys with decades of tech experience making phone calls and, you know, meeting guys with big wallets and big money and, and orchestrating these things and doing these things behind the scenes to, to actually eventualize outcomes like we saw with Moonbirds. Like, this isn't just some random thing that pumps by chance. They've been working on this for, for months and they've, been, they've probably been on the phone or, you know, meeting up with people in real life and getting this thing to go over the line. And, and that's what I'm saying. It's just like, there's so much more to the NFT market that meets the eye right now. There is so much big money out there moving around, waiting in the shadows, doing stuff. And just don't trust the guys that are laughing on Twitter saying things because they feel like saying it because they don't have a clue. None of those guys have a fucking clue, to be honest with you. Yeah, wow. Um, <laughs> I think, uh, I, I don't know, I kind of like it when it wasn't like that at the same time, but I do appreciate what you're saying. Like, um, I think I think you're now seeing some far more sophisticated money come into this space with this sort of drops. So, um, 
it pays to pay attention to where like sophisticated money seems to be uh, going. And people said, you know, the next Bored Apes will not be look like Bored Apes. And this to me feels like it's not like Bored Apes. Like it feels to me like this is more like an access NFT to whatever else is going to be dropped from basically a quasi VC style fund running, running the space um, where they can give you access to a bunch of new things that are going to come out. Um, and I can see why that, why that can be valuable for sure. Like this isn't someone just replicating the idea of making just a brand. This feels like more like you're going to get, um, it's going to be more like an access pass. And I think this concept of access passes and, you know, alpha D- discords and all this sort of stuff is going to be a very popular concept. I imagine over the next year. Hey guys, thanks for having me up. But I kind of have an opinion on this if I kind of share it. And one of the things, what's up, OSF? You know, one of the things that I think other people have to understand is VCs work on metrics. And the metrics that they just saw their buddy do is he just raised a $100 million seed round in 36 hours without having to give up any part of the company in an industry where there's 92% gross margins. They are going to look at that and say, oh, my God, how do I get involved in this space? Yeah, that's for sure. You know, and so this this is what I was saying. And unfortunately, the way I see it playing out is probably a little more fragmentation of the market just because these people, hopefully there will be some trickle down effect to the mid tier projects. But these people, one, most of the time they don't buy retail. So you'll probably see them starting out and investing in more in the early stage rounds and going on the secondary investing in retail, but also they back blue chip projects. So they're just probably going to put more money in the upper tier and hopefully it trickles down, but we'll see. But I think that's kind of just what happened. They brought in new VC money from their friends and all their friends are watching and saying, holy cow, I can't believe this exists. And they're probably strategically figuring out how to get in right now. So just briefly, do, do, do we, do we like this? Do we not like this? If, if it becomes more VC, VC, um, like if we start seeing quote unquote smarter money come in, it's it's an interesting dynamic happening right now, which I had my thoughts yesterday. So the market is that it, it's it's really interesting because what happened after Moonbird is a lot of conversation on Twitter, and I read both sides, all sides a lot, um, and a part of the people don't want anonymous teams anymore that come in, raise millions of dollars, and don't know how to do shit. That's one of the biggest criticisms. It's like, we're giving money to kids who've never run a business. And it's a business because it's a roadmap. So the second you have a roadmap, you're a business. I don't care what you think. And the other side, now that you have people who obviously have a track record, I think that's why a lot of people bet on Kevin, have a track record, they go, oh, but look, it's VC money, it's Web2, it's bad. Um, And... And I find that confusing a little bit, personally. So it's like, so what do we want, right? But then if you look right in the middle, so maybe what? We want a Web3 native entrepreneur that's going to lead your charge, pave the way. Okay, that's cool, but there's not enough of that anyways. And it's too new of a space. <coughs> the other side of it, <coughs> sorry, guys, get some water. The other side of it is what Steve's saying is do we want, you know, that whole spectrum, you know, that whole side of the spectrum to see what just happened with Kevin and say, oh, my God. We will go and replicate and copy that and use that to our advantage to suck out a bunch of money out of Web3. So my scare is actually now, I feel like the next trend in NFTs is going to be a bunch of Web2 VCs or entrepreneurs that 
did something back then. They're going to come in. They're going to drop a thousand membership passes. And those membership passes are going to give you access to products that they funded. That's exactly, you, this is recorded. You can mark my words. This will happen in the next two to four weeks in the NFT space. And it will be the trend for the next quarter. Literally mark my words. V2, uh, V2 Web2 VCs are going to drop these tickets, kind of like the proof pass. And then by having it, you're going to be able to buy their soap. You're going to be able to buy their um, seminar. You're going to be able to buy this new paper towel they created that wipes your ass. I don't know what it is, right? But it's, but it's just like all these different products that they invested in. Now, is it even good or bad? I don't know because Web3 is meant to be and this technology is for everyone. So we're not gatekeeping and saying you're not allowed to come in here, but it's up to people to vote to where they want to put their money. So it's going to be an interesting dynamic, I think, in the next three months in the space with like all the people in the last year who tried and or failed or and or are struggling to keep going with the people who just tried building things. So good projects, but they don't have the background. They don't have the enormous amount of money. They don't have maybe the support, etc. Versus people who are going to come in and kind of like, like crush, crush it and come and kind of like try to walk over us and say, I've done this, this and that before. So I'm entitled to making this, this and that here as well. So it's going to be a really interesting dynamic. I guess my only words here, if you're a founder, like don't like, don't make these, don't let these words like make you give up, right? You got to just hold your line and just keep building and keep creating because I genuinely think there's something special in this space where we really put on the pedestal and we try to put fo people forward that are native and that give to our community space and that really try to build from within. So I think it's a really interesting dynamic. I think we'll see what, what's going to happen here. Uh, but, you know, I, I wouldn't let that discourage anyone. Um, of course, maybe money will go towards teams that have done a lot, but that doesn't mean that, they, that, that they're going to do a lot in this space because if they didn't come in until now, it's because they maybe didn't even have a deep understanding of the space. Kevin is different. Kevin is like, he's been collecting. Kevin, to me, doesn't even fit this mold. Kevin is a Web2 turned Web3 native because he studied the space. He knows the space. He's collected incredible pieces. He, I mean, speaking of squiggles, I mean, you know, we have Snowfro here. Kevin has some insane squiggles, right, from day one. So it's... Uh, Is Farouk rugged? Yeah, we lost him. Oh yeah. man, that was that was a great speech. I thought. Um, well, I think you I got slightly be... slightly rugged. Well, right there I love you guys, and we can move on. <laughs> um, look, I, I think, just want to give. I'd love to give one more opinion, and I gotta drop down and go. And this is sure. not my opinion. I see Jonah down there, and then you know, really, Jonah presented this point. You know, what do you guys think of Nike? Is that a VC? They're already in the space, and what would Artifact be without that Nike partnership? Yeah, so exactly. when, people t when people talk about big money coming in and VC money coming in, it's already been here. That's true, man. Artifact raised at a $44 million evaluation in 2021 from A16Z. Back then, nobody saw anything with that, right? So it's, it's just like, it, it's been here. Foundation, I mean, I'm pretty sure the first round was led by A16 as well. Open seas, same situation. I think the slight difference in that scenario is that Artifact basically back, sorry, Nike basically backdoored it by buying Artifact, which is like a Web3 native. I think what we've all kind of say is the risk here is you get 
not, you know, you get some very smart people coming here, but some of them won't understand the Web3 values and they'll treat it like a cash grab, just like many other people have. And that, that can be risky. The ones that do it well can build some amazing stuff. And the concept of getting, you know, like the idea of getting closer to basically becoming a VC is not uncommon in crypto. You have things like Polka Starter and other projects where you can kind of get in on, you know, these um, ICOs early. This this could be basically another way of doing that, where you end up basically funding projects or funding um, investments through a through an NFT, not, not quite a DAO, but like an NFT launch, and then you basically reward your holders um, with the products that come out. As long as they're not treated just like exit liquidity, and as long as there isn't abuse of funds, I do think there could be some some genuine value created here because you'll attract some very good minds. Hey, hey, Snowfro, how are you? Hey, um, thanks for coming up. I don't know if you have a view on view on any of this. Hey, guys, yeah, thanks for thanks for having me here today. This is awesome. I love hearing all chat and riff on this subject. I just, you know, I I actually do have a lot of opinions on this. I I do want to, you know, I missed out on the Moonbirds mainly because I live under a rock and I don't know what half the projects y'all are talking about are uh, these days. Of course, I didn't uh, not know about Moonbirds. I got to work with Kevin, and uh, it was really nice to see a squiggle in some of these pieces. Um, but I think, I think there's going to be, you know, I, I, I think there's going to be a distinction here in the next few weeks as well. Kind of like what Peruk was saying, like there, there's, there's going to be experimentation in the space for the next five years. This is a incredibly simple technology that provides humans with a, a huge like opportunity to change almost everything in our lives, especially anything that has to do with finances. And you know, in some cases, and, you know, there was also, I love, you know, how passionate Tariq you were earlier about, you know, people yelling at you for the value of your stuff going up or down. Like, there is a world where some of us found the tools in the tool chest that Ethereum provides and are perfectly satisfied with that set of tools and will continue to expand on what those tools provide. And so, for example, with our blocks, like, we are using the Ethereum blockchain to do exactly what we want it to do. And it's really hard to watch all these conversations about utility and wonder every now and then it's like, oh man, like, yeah, this is this other cool shiny thing that the Ethereum blockchain enables, but that's maybe not part of the vision and that's not part of the plan, at least not for the foreseeable future. And it's really kind of hard to, to know that, you know, the, the, the space can have such negative sentiments just because platforms aren't literally willing to chase every little shiny use case. Utility is something that is going to be a very powerful thing, but it's going to be a very powerful thing with diminishing returns. Not everybody is going to be able to pull off a Moonbirds or a VFriends or you know, a lot of these utility-based projects. I feel very confident that the people that are already doing it are going to be just fine, but that kind of instant interest of people coming into want to participate is just going to have a very strong diminishing return and what that utility is that people get from it. There is a certain amount of money that exists in the world and, you know, we can't just print money all day, every day, forever. So, you know, I think that it's going to be interesting to watch new people come in. I think it's going to be really interesting to see who literally can just be satisfied with like what technology they use to make their platforms powerful and successful and, and, you know, undeniably uh, innovative um, and, you know, I think it's, you know, I think it's just a matter of time before we, 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 we start watching people like, for example, Moonbirds, Kevin Rose fall off to 
being satisfied. For example, he's been watching the space for so long. He's been very involved in the space and uh, he's been a huge supporter of art blocks, huge supporter of me personally. And like, this is where he landed with this project. And I think he can fall off now and just concentrate on this one thing. Like he literally watched generative art explode. He watched PFPs explode. He watched all these things happen. He learned. And then it all simmered into this one thing that he created and now he's opened the door for other people to do similar things. And then the conversation will continue to innovate in the NFT space. And we will continue to find new use cases and validate those use cases. And so, yeah, I don't, I, you know, I, I don't actually, nobody really knows what the future holds, but I really like what Kevin's done. I really like what a lot of the other utility, even board apes and whatever, you know, it's great that they, they've established some utility for their projects. And um, if they can just be satisfied with that use case and concentrate on literally maximizing the potential of that specific use case, I think that we're all going to be pretty happy with the outcome. Um, you know, if we, if we find ourselves just chasing everything shiny that comes up with this technology because it will continue to happen for the next five or 10 years, then I think, you know, you'll find that people get distracted too easily and, uh, and, and maybe we won't, uh, we won't be excited about everything that comes our way. I love this man. Love you too, buddy. Yeah, that it was is, a great answer. I, one I, still, I think it's a really, really uh, very, very important point. Like, you can't just chase everything. And now, now you'll see projects maybe even try and morph into a similar sort of model. Where, um, and I just think that that's obviously Artblocks is is doing its own thing. And I, I think very much that's kind of we speak about this quite a lot on the show. Like um, that, you don't necessarily need to chase utility if it's not there. And yeah, like you said, just just do what you do what you do best. Um, and if that can branch into other things and you want it to, then you can. But if not, then don't don't stay away from your um, don't get diverged from your north star, which is like what you, what you've been trying to do and what you can do best in this space. North star is such an important thing. Like I, I've I've read so many books, and you know, good to great. There's this wonderful book called Good to Great, and it talks about how sometimes it could take three or four years to discover your north star. And internally at our our blocks, we want to know what that is now because. You know, our blocks has been around for a year or so, which makes it, it means it's been around for 10 years already. And so, you know, we at, at our, like our North Star right now is to literally host the best generative art from the best generative artists in the world. What does that mean? That literally means that the utility of buying something on our blocks is the art that you are getting. And I know that doesn't always resonate with people because this space is all about flipping and speculation. And, you know, I've grown a lot to not. I don't hate on speculators. I don't hate on flippers. I, I literally just don't want that to be our North Star. And, and it is okay for creators to have a vision. And as long as they stick to it, you know, it's okay for creators to have a vision. And it's okay for it not to necessarily resonate with everybody in the space, specifically because you have people like Kevin coming in right behind and saying, hey, look, this is a, if you are all about utility, if you are all about like, you know, this other concept, I give you this beautiful place to operate and to, and to, and to exercise your, your, you know, excitement for the Ethereum blockchain. So, yeah, I mean, I'm excited to see the, the future here, but our, you know, everybody should have a North star, even though it feels very weird because it's such a fast moving space. Uh, and you know, I'd, I'd love to actually, uh, next time I talk to Kevin, I'm going to ping him and say, okay, what is your North star? Like, because I didn't know exactly what that was for our blocks, maybe six to eight months ago. He's just getting started. What is the North star for an operation like proof collective? Um, and I think as these companies start to mature, you know, instead of 
a bunch of kids. Uh, like, what, what did you say, Farouk, earlier? I actually wrote it down. I thought it was hilarious. Uh, <laughs> Which one? Giving money to kids <clears throat> that things. have never run a business. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, like instead of, you know, a bunch of kids getting a bunch of money that have never run a business, it's like, let's see what these kids do. And, and the first thing that's necessary to really like run a business and not not chase every little tiny thing is to establish that North star. And this is honestly, I think, was it Mondo that said that like literally the first time in my four years in crypto that I've heard the word North star be mentioned on any kind of public conversation. And it's so meaningful to hear that. And for a business to last more than a year or two, um, a North star has to, has to be there. And we really have to spend a lot of time. It's not something you just come up with overnight. Like it, it might seem apparent, but it's not. And it's something that we should all be striving for as, as, as business owners in this space. Yeah, it's going to be interesting, dyna- a very interesting dynamic. I love you. You speak about the North Star Snowfall. <clears throat> um, definitely a question to ask um, Kevin Ryan. It's going to be interesting. To- Actually, it's a question I'm going to ask every single person I host from here forward. That's really interesting. And I love how you really, like, we saw the, sw- the switch in our blocks. I mean, it wasn't a switch. It's you always stay true to that. It's just the, the, the everybody realized that. I was like, oh, wait, you're telling me Snowfall has been doing this for the art the entire time. <laughs> so, oh, man. <laughs> we started. Yeah. I love how you just stay true to it. Um, I it, I mean, we could get you started. I mean, Mando, where are we at in terms of... Well, of, we got... Of, to, we could, let's, let's hurry through the, the next two, I think. That is basically just the... I, I, we've got... Um, let's plow we've got Ben Scar on, on, on stage as well. I think we should probably speak to him because he had a bit of a, a winner with the moon with Moonbirds this week. Did it sell? I think it's sold. It's um, sold. And he also sold a piece of his artwork, too. So, Damn. So congrats, man. Do you want to talk about your story on that? Thanks, man. I mean, I, I didn't come up to talk about it, but um, I'll be quick, I guess. Yeah, like a new all-time high for the Moonbirds. Really cool to see. Uh, just crazy um, just crazy story overall. And I, um, I, I realized this yesterday, actually, that it was um, on the one-year anniversary of minting my first piece back in april of 2021 um so it was kind of like a cool uh kickback to that um to see this kind of playing out the way that it did and um yeah just very very fortunate to have this opportunity but i actually um i came up because i had a question for eric uh about the north star topic that's all right yeah of course of course so Eric, you mentioned that your North Star for art blocks is like creating like the best platform for generative art. Do you see generative art being kind of like because I think a lot of people ref- refer to it with like that historical context for NFTs. Do you see it kind of down the line being kind of that one of those defining genres of NFTs or do you think it's kind of like a more niche category uh like i'm thinking like a hundred years down the line do we see this sort of stuff in museums what are what are your what's your outlook on this man i love that question so number one generative art was a defining category for nfts because the crypto punks were an example of generative art and so from day one nobody actually painted each of the pixels on the crypto punks nobody painted each of the pixels on the board apes and I sure as hell did not draw all 9,300 squiggles. So it's Wait, already a defining. <laughs> yeah, and they <laughs> moved. Uh, so, if you, if you, so it's already there, right? And so 
what is blockchain doing? Blockchain doing blockchain is creating an environment where people can operate with less friction in a decentralized way. And so it makes it even if I had it a generative algorithm that allowed me to sell 9,300 squiggles by printing them and selling them through like the local market in Houston, I would have to have thousands of people come through that market before they would even look at them. And so whereas blockchain and NFTs enable us to have this global perspective, instantaneous global attention and recognition for a digital good, which the lowest friction digital good in this case is art. So yeah, I think generative art is and will always be instrumental. It, people like to be unique. There is a desire for humans to be individuals and there is a desire for people to also participate in the same conversation and be part of the same community. And what generative art X NFTs has enabled is it has literally been the best product market fit for that of all time. You have the ability, not when things are two and a half ETH or 50 ETH, but you know, squiggles were $10 at one point. So, you know, obviously we have to kind of figure out how to get to homeostasis, but you have the ability to create, a conversation with 10,000 people with very little friction because I only had to write one algorithm and I was able to create, let's say, 10,000 people. So there's that side of the question. And the other side of your question, so this is something that, you know, I've been really d speaking a lot on lately is, uh, you know, people have been surfing and skateboarding for years and decades before it was accepted into the Olympics, right? People had to fight so hard. It was not like the Olympics discovered skateboarding. It was the other way around. Like people have been using or participate. And it's just, there's dozens of other sports that people had participated in, in their entire lives uh, as like when it was just kind of cool and niche because nobody else did it. You were just the only nerd on your street that knew how to skateboard or whatever. And um, that is something that has turned into my personal goal. And that is to elevate generative art in the world of art to that Olympic level sport, that Olympic level art that, uh, that it deserves. It has existed since the sixties. And what's really beautiful about this is it's not just generative art. This elevates digital art. This elevates people making things on procreate because there is for many years, there's been this thought that like, you know, if it's not oil on canvas or a sculpture, it's not art. And that's just absolutely wrong. People learn techniques on procreate on a, iPad, just like people can spend years working on techniques on with a, with a paintbrush. And so, you know, digital art, when you just attach a JPEG to an email and say, here's the artwork you bought, it is a very anticlimactic experience. Purchasing a JPEG on OpenSea or on a secondary market is actually quite a thrilling experience. And so NFTs have raised and elevated digital art purely as an art form and giving it a place in history as an art form in a new way. And generative art mixed with NFTs have really, it's a, again, it's a, it's a product market fit that has enabled us to elevate generative art to the, to, to the, to the world in a way that it had never really been elevated before. And it is, it is literally my mission. And this is why literally I, all I do is I travel and I talk to people both in the traditional art world and in the NFT space about generative art and about art blocks in the whole scheme of NFTs, not just in my little, you know, job as a, as, as at art blocks, but in like the whole context of the whole space. And I try to explain to them money aside, speculation aside, all this madness that we experience on a daily hype cycle aside, how beautifully brilliant the technology is of an NFT, like just the simplicity of being able to prove ownership of a digital asset. And if we start there and then we kind of expand to what it's enabling people to do with generative art, I really think that we can actually have generative art be just as recognizable in the world of art as a sculpture or as oil on canvas or acrylics 
or, or, or even music. So yeah, um, that's an awesome question. And um, I, I feel like uh, I could talk on that subject for a really long time, but thanks for asking it. That was amazing. Can I ask a quick follow-up on that? Because uh, I, I know you've traveled, I've seen all of it happening, but what do you see on the side then, like being someone so in actually trying to share what this can be as the hardest barrier for a lot of these people that are on the edge right now to fully grasp and come in? Like, what have you seen as like the hardest part challenge to make that happen? Onboarding. Um, scams. Uh, you don't take care of your private seed when, or your seed phrase when you're creating a MetaMask account when someone's going to send you a $5 NFT. Or, uh, you know, I, I, I think that there are so many barriers to entry and this is something that we're investigating deeply at Artbox too. It's like, you know, you know, how can we, how can we enable someone to onboard into this space and guarantee that they cannot be scammed? And you can draw your own conclusions to that. But we're working on basically enabling onboarding in a scam-free environment where people can literally make a purchase and know that they're not, that they own it until the day that they need to transfer it or move it or sell it. And, you know, so there's that side of it. And then the other side of it is this madness that happened in August and September and October. You know, if you take Artblock's trajectory in terms of just kind of like the, the value of, of the pieces or the value of like the trading on the platform, if you strip out August, September and October, we have a really beautiful ramp up. It's just very gradual, but it's nice. And that's exactly what I would have loved to see. Obviously, we had a really crazy August, September, October great because we got to expand the team we got to grow the team we get to do a lot of stuff that we wouldn't be able to do that's fantastic but um that leaves a really weird taste in people's mouths people seeing people spend fifteen thousand dollars on an addition of a thousand in 30 minutes or 10 minutes however long the da went was it's it's in the traditional art world it's just inconceivable everything that we're doing is actually inconceivable <laughs> including moonbirds and squiggles and punks it's all inconceivable but then you take the polar opposite of that, which is, you know, today, yesterday, we had our first op blocks curated that didn't sell out on the day that it was created. I have now received two emails from people being like, I just want to let you know, I bought my first art blocks piece today. I've been waiting for months. I, I buy stuff on, well, they bought their first, they minted their first art blocks piece. I buy stuff on the secondary market and the experience of minting the artwork is 10 times cooler than buying it on the secondary market. We haven't allowed people to enter because nobody takes $15,000 out of their checking account to go buy an NFT, but they do take $800 out of their checking account to buy an NFT. And so we're, we're enabling people to participate simply because that instant speculative value that uh, was sought after so heavily within this space is, is not there. And it's not there. I would say, you know, I would say it's gone, but I mean, you could have also said it was gone in March of last year and then in June of last year, but like we go through cyclical situations in this space and unfortunately or fortunately it depends on who you are and what you've collected and whatever we will probably see another cycle like that but in these times like this when things when i can text a friend and be like hey you can go buy an art block security piece right now for 800 bucks or 600 bucks like that is so meaningful and that is so helpful for people to be able to drop their barriers and stop freaking out about like all these decisions. They don't have to make like a life-changing decision to buy a $15,000 thing. They can just buy a, a $600 thing and actually start participating and, and be part of the conversation. So that combination of things has really helped and will continue to help. And we don't want anybody to lose money, but man, as far as I'm concerned, if we could have a curated drop, stay on the market for like a day or two every time, 
where people can just take their time and make their own decisions about the value of the work and like experience multiple mints and say, oh man, I just saw 10 of them. They're awesome. I want my own. That is actually the, the, the goal for our blocks is people to be able to absorb themselves in the art. And uh, I think the more we get to this point, the, the more likely we're going to have the external people come in from the traditional art world and start participating in the space, which is eventually going to be the single most drive of value long-term for our blocks collectors is not just our echo chamber of people that are going to chase the next shiny thing, which is fine. Cause let me be fair. I chased the next shiny thing for three years in this space starting in 2017. So I'm not dogging on anybody, but once we actually have people onboarded that their entire purpose of being on the blockchain is because they're interested in collecting generative art. That's where the value is going to be stable and long-term. And uh, that's what we're focused on working on right now. Very well said. <laughs> it's interesting what you no, said that, there. That which is, is amazing. Sorry, I was just saying it was interesting what you said there, where, where you where you kind of it was an issue how much success you had back in August. Like it it, it creates demands from a um, from a team and from a project. Maybe like you said, like you get suddenly forced into conversations about utility and other things that you didn't even have planned. And we've seen that with plenty of other creators and projects in this space where they end up having this meteoric rise. Like we even had Drift on the other day who ended up doing his open edition and, and quickly, as soon as it, it sold out, was being asked for at when utility. Um, do, do, you, do you kind of wish that that hadn't happened? Because I, I completely hear what you're saying and that it's so native. It elevates the art that was already there, and it creates the minting experience, um, like which which wasn't there before with digital art. And it's so exciting, like the concept of you know as you're minting it, you you find out what you've got, and um, it it just feels so native to to what is being uh, to the technology here. Um, but but with that massive success, which is kind of you kind of was bound to happen at that point. Um, when you saw the like the destruction of of um, open editions, people kind of went to, to limited edition pieces and art blocks. Like you said, had this native art brand which which was doing so well at the time, and you just saw so much money kind of immediately shift uh, onto it. And perhaps the narrative around art blocks has shifted to something which it never really should have. You know, if it had been a slow and steady rise you don't have this sort of like narrative where you're having to defend yourself against so much money coming in back in August. Um, do you find it's, do you find that's a burden or, or do you kind of wrestle with, with, with would you have done stuff differently back then? Uh, from a mental health perspective, it is the biggest burden I've ever had in my life. It's like people are yelling at you and being like, Oh, you're, you know, who cares because you're making all this money. And it's literally like money doesn't even matter at this point when you're getting, like admonished so hard by so many people that oftentimes don't actually know anything about you or what your, what your goal is. So no, I, I, I don't think it was healthy for anybody. I don't think it was healthy for the collectors. I don't think it was healthy for the people like me that don't sell art. Right. So, you know, I, I bought stuff in August and September and paid way more money for it than I would have liked to. It wasn't healthy for the people that were looking strictly to flip. Although there is eventually a zero-sum game, right? So you, you eventually can't continue to flip things when more people come in and they want to flip just like you. And it was not healthy for the artists. 
you know, the artist was about to make a couple million bucks in a few minutes and they were literally like sweating and terrified on calls in advance of the drop uh, because it didn't feel comfortable for them either. And obviously, you know, I'm sure they eventually, you know, uh, relaxed and are enjoying the success of those drops. But, uh, and then it, it definitely wasn't good from a mental health perspective on me. And I don't know, the only thing that I think I would have changed um, is having grown the team a little faster because there was just such few of us during those times that there just wasn't enough support to handle that. And I think that's something that, you know, is interesting to highlight. I don't know how many companies, you know, in, in history have, have experienced the type of explosive, not just growth, but at the exact same time, open customer service 24 seven on discord as what the web three companies have experienced. This is something that's actually completely new to society. So you might have had a company that experienced explosive growth, but you were contacting customer support, maybe if this was early enough, by, by mail or by phone or whatever. Like now literally we have a 24-7 user feedback channel and we're very mindful of it and we take it very seriously. And so during times like that, nobody's really enjoying the platform. And I do think it's kind of detrimental, but it also... Now we know what that's like. And so we often talk in our leadership calls, okay, what are we going to do if, I say if, because who knows, but you know, if this happens again, like what are we going to do? How are we going to handle this? And I think it's going to be easier this time simply because people will be able to point back to history and be like, hey, everybody, last time this 20X over the course of a weekend, it didn't end so well for the people that bought it at the top. And we now have data points and references, both from a mental health perspective and a financial perspective and a hype perspective um, to, to document this. I'll give you another example. The last time a curated art block drop didn't sell out on the same day it was released was the week after the MeBits drop. There is a correlation also with what's happening in the market and what's happening in the industry where people's money is locked up. There's a correlation between like sentiment. And for example, when board apes started going, people minted board apes for what 0.08 and then they were selling them for five ETH people that had never had that much money before in their lives. And they turned and flipped it into art blocks and then watched that skyrocket too. Like it's just, it, there's so many different data points that we have today that we didn't have last year that I hope that we can do a better job of managing it only because I don't know that I could personally handle another August, September. Um, again, like I personally don't think that I can, I can, I can deal with it. So, you know, hopefully, and now I have a stronger, much stronger, I, I work with the most amazing people on the planet and um, you know, I, I feel like the support levels are so much higher that it probably would never happen that way again. But um, yeah, it's, it's important point. to consider that. It's an interesting point. What you're saying though, is that it was, you need to hire people because you're right in that, when you see meteoric success in Web2 or in startups, you don't like the skill set to be a visionary or to be even a manager doesn't necessarily tie in with, with the skill set of being like a Discord mod. So, like, it's like asking, I don't know, we, we spoke about Elon Musk before, but like seeing like meteoric success from being like a visionary and coming up with the idea and strategy, but then having to basically be customer support at the same time. And I think a lot of, a lot of, creators in this space and project leaders they, it's their own like baby at the start so it's it's very tough to recognize that there is no way that you'll have the skill set to do all the different things um like me luckily me and me and osf have, have different skill sets in many ways so we we can kind of help each other out uh, in certain ways but it is i think it's very very important what you just said in that it um it requires recognizing that you need to have support 
And um, but you can trust that support. And you're right in that art blocks has kind of gone through that. So now you're you're ready for the next time that it that it happens. Um, yeah, I'll highlight once again what Farouk said. Giving money to kids that have never run a business. I mean, I more power to all of the people that came up with a really good idea and they had explosive success in this space. If I had never run a business before our blocks, I would have actually crumbled in September and August. In the height of the money coming in and the artists making money and all that, I literally probably would have collapsed under the pressure and under the intensity and under like a lack of understanding on how to listen to people's concerns and how to discuss their concerns in a way that is positive and like reinforcing of the fact that a we're all learning and b this place is a fucking shit show and so like you know we are humans also and we do just have a vision that is based on at least for me this was a hobby like this was literally like a passion project that i started um you know tinkering with four years ago and it turned into something much bigger um it, it is so, it, this is where and just to touch again a little bit on what kevin rose and gary v like and and others are doing in this space there is a clear distinction with people that have run and operated businesses uh, in this space. They understand the short, the medium, and the long term. And uh, I, I really wish that collectors, especially the ones that came for, you know, came for the flip, stayed for the art. Like I love that meme in our Discord. It's like one of my favorite things about this. But a lot of people that just, you know, are, are dissatisfied kind of with the fact that they bought at the peak, just like you can buy the peak of stocks, but whatever, is like there is this if you can literally consider a short, a medium and a long term and see what things are being done by founders and like the teams of these organizations at the short, the medium and the long term, I think that you'll be in a much better place uh, and you'll feel less entitled to demand that a platform creator shift and pivot to, to accommodate exactly what you are seeing as the most successful thing right now, whether that's, you know, governance or token or, you know, airdrops, whatever. Um, Long term, this will all play out really well. And long term, I do think that the best ideas with the most experienced people at the helm are going to be the ones that succeed. And I, I, I can't promise anybody anything because this is, again, a shit show. But I can promise you that, like, you know, my 20 years in business before starting Art Blocks and, like, working with customers and understanding people and humans and human needs and desires, both from an employee perspective and also, like, a collector perspective, will have an incredibly positive impact in the likeliness of success of Art Blocks in the long term. And I encourage that other founders take the time to get coaching. Like I, I've, I've owned a company for this long and I have an executive coach. I have someone that sits with me for two hours and listens to me, essentially a psychiatrist, like, you know, get coaching, add cultural uh, significance to your team internally, give people a sense of normalcy within this space because otherwise everything is just so crazy that we wake up sometimes and we're like, where the hell are we? Like do all these things. I think long-term these are going to pay off in the companies that are looking at internal company culture and external company culture and, you know, um, uh, are, are going to be the ones that are going to have the, the, the best chance of success, especially if we go through like a crazy long bear market, which I've been waiting for. for I mean, not, like I, I've, I predicted bear markets a long time ago. They don't come. That's great. That makes me happy for everybody that's involved in the space. But like, I do think that there's a chance, maybe it's lower now than it was when I was saying this last year that we will go into like a hibernation, just like we did from 2018 to 2021. And the people that succeed there are not going to be the ones that generate the most income because the income is going to be hard to get. It's going to be the people that don't lose their entire team. 
um, to bigger offers and like more exciting projects because they've built enough culture into their organization to, to survive those weird times. It's really great to hear, to hear you talk about that and talk about also the, the, the idea that you, you, you do need help in these sort of scenarios. Like you probably eight months ago were probably going through complete, like you said, complete mental turmoil. That has maybe shifted to the, I don't know, the Board 8 Yacht Club owners right now and you can't kind of imagine how much stress they must be under and that will quickly shift now to kevin rose and how much stress he will now be under thinking about this sort of stuff do, do you think that founders of very popular projects talk enough um about these sort of things like i, I can't really imagine the situations that you've been in um and like did anyone reach out to you over the last eight months um kind of help in these sort of scenarios yeah so i have every time that i go into a ram ramble or a rant whether it's text on discord or whether it's like conversations like this because i've been very lucky to get to do a lot of podcasts and i get invited to speak a lot and when i do i speak my mind and i'm very honest and i'm very like like just sincere about my feelings uh i'm not one to hide my emotions and my feelings at all and uh i get i'm not exaggerating 15 dms from people that whether it's artists collectors people that have never bought an art box piece that say look I just, I'm here if you want to talk and, uh, you know, I'm proud of what you're doing and you need to keep doing what you're doing. And, you know, except, like literally like motivation, I, I have a, a motivational uh, group that is completely organic. And then I get text messages from people and I get emails from people, um, you know, uh, and it, I, I'm very lucky. And I think that the reason why is because I am so sincere about what I'm doing. I literally am trying to just do what, feels like the right thing to do and not trying to grift and not trying to like, you know, take as much money and emotion out of the space as possible. But yeah, you know, getting emails like uh, I'm reading one right now, wanted to drop you a line and let you know that I did my first mint on the art blocks curated with flux yesterday. Although one can always buy in the secondary market. There's something very personal about minting the NFT yourself. Love what our blocks team has been doing and your role in establishing generative art as an important contemporary art form. We will look back in these formative days many years from now. This is from the head of a, of a very, very large institution. And, you know, it's things like that that keep me going. Also, I have the most supportive wife and uh, flexible children in the world. And, like, between those things, I'm in a good spot, even though I was almost crushed in August and September. I'm actually in a good spot. Um, and I, I do fear and worry about others that may not be in such a good spot. And we should always take a moment to realize that the more you're yelling at people or the more you're getting yelled at, like the more that they need people to reach out and understand, unless they've rugged somebody, right? Like that's a whole other conversation. But, you know, if you haven't, if you haven't rugged somebody and you're just upsetting a couple of very vocal people there, generally there are people on the sidelines that are also supporting you. And um, I, I'll never forget. I think one of my favorite tweets of all time was somebody tweeted, you know, I wonder who's gotten more uh, anger from entitled wealthy people, Larva Labs or Art on Blockchain, right? Like uh, uh, on Twitter. And it's just a really interesting concept because we've both been yelled at so much for not conforming to whatever that day's new shiny thing is. And, um, you know, that, that simple tweet, which could have, you know, could have been someone that hated both of us. I don't know, uh, really, really resonated and, and re represents how, um, you know, we can just take a step back and realize that there are people that support us even, even when things are not going so, uh, so well. Well, that's so spot on. It's like, it hits exactly what we talked about last week when Drift had his open edition. Like it really was like a vocal minority speaking very loud in comparison to everyone else. And like, 
that seeps through all the people that are supporting you just because of how loud they get. So it's trying to find that balance. We had a long discussion about that last week and even upsetting an artist like drift, like he, he took him to heart, like, and he was doing something good. He raised a million dollars like for the bail fund. Like that's fucking phenomenal. And he's still having to deal with people saying when, what less than 24 hours after he does the release. Yeah. Look, our, our, our title, I think on Friday was meant to be is burnout the biggest risk in web three. And I think for you said that you and Snowfro had spoken about this before, I know you must feel this as well, Farouk, as, as someone in this space, that I personally think that even with like visionary creators, that the demands of being like, everyone already told you that the stress of being a startup, right? That it's, everything's on you and, um, you know, it's, it's incredibly risky. Doing it in, in, in NFTs, like I said, it, you, you ha- end up having to basically speak to, the demands of your community every single day. It's like being in on the, like being on a support uh, hotline for anyone who has an issue with your product. And I just feel that, that it's so incredibly tough. It's relentless. Um, and I do it, think that this sort of stuff, this, this burnout is, is a massive risk and not enough people are, are talking about it. Yeah, we did. We chatted about it quickly, Eric, on stage <laughs> at NFT Basel. I remember the, the conversation of you sharing about your the coach that you have. I think that's really big alpha, by the way. That you have someone to call. It's kind of like a... I, I just like how you put it. It's really interesting. But it's true that the pressure that was put on, especially on, you know, on art blogs. I mean, you saw it with Larva Labs and stuff, but they're more like... Snowfall is more like, you're out there, right? Matt and John are not really out there. So it's like even... I'd say you had it even harder uh, because people took your creation and turn into a highly speculative asset uh for those of you who were there in 2021 especially that summer you you know that you know like our blog's going absolutely berserk everything and remember the, the gas wars and this and that and the trading and the big people coming in buying ringers for 2000 ETH and this and that and um and so i think i think it, it must have been it must have been you know really tough on that front just having a bunch of people scream at you why their portfolio is not going up when all this time you've been saying and you just came on and said again that your North Star has always been the art. And what can we do with this technology to be able to create art on chain? I mean, your username is art on blockchain. <laughs> I don't think it can get more clear than that. Uh, but yeah, what, what was like for you? Like, and, and it is it is it is harder, right? Like building building is already hard as is. Um, building out in the open is probably Sometimes I think I'm an idiot, uh, and I swear to God. Sometimes I'm like, why? Like, what's the what? Why? Like, why do I have to take shit at three in the morning on a Friday night from some fucking wimpy ass kid telling me that I should do better and that I don't deserve 24 hours to breathe uh, because I need to work harder for his bags to be worth more? And true story, it happened at three in the morning last Friday. And so I looked at the message. And I'm like, what am I doing here? Like, why? What? Who? Why have I done to? to deserve to get treated or spoken to that way by some random person I've never met or who doesn't know my story, where I come from, what I've had to go through to get to where I am today and what I've done in the last year to even get to the position I'm in the NFT space nowadays. So it's just like, it must be harder when it comes from your end. It's like you're, I mean, when you have people, when I present Snowfro, when I see you, I, I mean, I run to you for a hug because he gives the best hugs, but it's like, I talked about Snowfall like I would talk about any legend I read about in a history book because this man invented the squiggle. 
this man invented art blocks. It's one of the reasons why art on chain nowadays is so popular and known. It's like, that's why it's important. I think, Amanda, I'm so happy you made this happen because it's important for us to tell those stories every now and then more and more for them not to be drowned out by the noise that's going on in the space all around it. So it's, it's, there's a very interesting thing going on in the space right now. Um, and, uh, and I'm curious to see, you know, where, where, where all this will go, but definitely, you know, it's, um, there's definitely some, some education to be, uh, to be had for both, like for both participants and for founders. So I think the biggest takeaway was still for saying he's got someone coaching him and like helping him out to who he can ask questions. It's almost like therapy. And he's like trying to, you know, and he's growing with it. I think that was a really big takeaway. And Farouk, one thing I should think about is it's not just burnout on the founder's side. Like I'm seeing it from artists and collectors and people that are just participating in the space that keep missing out on projects. And they feel that because they're seeing everyone win and it's like, hey, when's mine? And they've been here for a long time. So it's like, how do you make it healthy for the overall ecosystem? And you really got to look at all parties that are participating. Yeah, and I just follow that up by saying that you know, part of the beauty of the space is that we have these PFPs to hide behind and kind of be ourselves. It allows us to be humans that we may not be in real life. And that is incredibly beautiful and powerful and also incredibly dangerous. Um, I, I, you know, I was on a call the other day and mentioned I mean, on a Twitter spaces and, you know, this is maybe unpopular opinion and that's fine. But to me, you know, what happened with Larva Labs is one of the biggest examples of bullying I've ever seen on like an international level. And I think people need to understand that, um, yeah, unfortunately the loudest voices are the ones that come through and you can literally cripple someone for the things that you say. And maybe you wouldn't say them if you were in the same room or if you were in the same, you know, like, uh, oh, no, they wouldn't. whatever. They, they wouldn't. And, uh, but <laughs> they, yeah, they wouldn't, but like that, some people would, which I think is great. Like I've always liked the people that are willing to speak their mind, but there's a, there's a line between speaking your mind and making a valid point and then just being hurtful, um, and, and, and pushy and, and like essentially establishing a level of entitlement that is undeserved. And I think people need to be so careful with like understanding how significant of an impact they can make hiding behind an avatar in somebody's day and how detrimental that can actually be to the platform that they're yelling about not following XYZ path that they're hoping for. It is, it is, it's you, you, everybody in this audience is so powerful. They don't even like, sometimes I think people don't understand how powerful you are. And um, there's a, there's a, there's a world where the NFT space kind of, you know, gets crippled by, by this divisiveness that we're seeing between, you know, originally between board apes and punks and, IP and non-IP and CCO and all this kind of stuff like that, that can actually lead down a path where that the NFT space suffers as a result from it to a point where it leaves such a bad taste in newcomers mouths that they don't even want to come into the space. And so I think people, you know, should just be more con conscientious and considerate of like how impactful they can be on founders, on platforms and whatever the user feedback channel. Most of us have it. It's like the new economy discord. Our headquarters is on discord. Like our blocks is a, corporation that has multiple employees with a headquarters in the digital space and this is just the beginning of this concept especially because of covid and like that's what user feedback channels are for and if you have a platform that literally responds to user feedback at least acknowledges it and says hey you know this isn't our thing right now 
pushing harder is actually not going to get you anywhere. And being rude and mean and pushy is not going to go anywhere. It's only going to be detrimental for the, for the, for the, for the founders, for the people that are really trying to follow their passions and their goals. So, you know, be careful. I, I really can't state that enough. And, you know, I, uh, I think that everybody here has the power to kind of like contribute in a positive way, even if they're not getting their way. And, uh, and, you know, I, I hope that, you know, we'll hear more of the loud voices that are just supportive of kind of the, the, the crazy positive things that are happening in the space and not looking to nitpick on like on the things that don't, don't resonate with them. I love that. Yeah, look, I think, I think, I think that's, you know, you've just really um, hit the nail on the head with, with everything. I think we've been trying to kind of articulate over the last couple of weeks. um, And it's just great to have on a founder like you um, and just speak their, speak their mind so openly, like you said, um, you're incredibly sincere in your words. Um, I, I don't, I don't just want to turn this just into kind of, um, kind of a, a mental health chat. I did want to talk kind of what maybe you, you're excited about um, in the future of art blocks going forward and, and um, maybe the future of, of on-chain art. Like, do you feel there's going to be any, any technical shifts going forward? We've seen over the months, like new people experiment with, with how they bring art, art on-chain. Um, is there anything that you've, you've thought was really special and what you think could kind of define the next few years of generative art? Man, I feel like what would define the next few years of generative art would be, I, I, I wish that uh, people would spend just so much more time on minting technologies. You know, I think that the Dutch auction is working perfectly in times like these when there's not insane demand, but is a complete failure when there's a lot of demand. Um, and I feel like that is actually what's going to revolutionize, in my opinion, not just generative art, but like, you know, the, well, because yeah, PFPs are generally generative and so you know being able to have i don't know the answer to this maybe the the person that solves this could win like a Nobel prize or something like find a really genuinely positive minting technology that's still decentralized like you can't fight decentralization and embrace it at the same time and right now all of the technology that we have we're either getting screwed by bots which you know we're fighting decentralization because we don't want the bots, but then we're embracing decentralization because of the pseudo anonymity of being able to participate or the lack of friction and participation. So that's something that I think I, I wish for, but we're not seeing yet, but we are seeing people create protocols for allow listing and, you know, we'll, we'll get there. Um, I think what I'm really excited about though, is people are, so, you know, there was a time where you could create anything generative foot on the blockchain and probably generate a bunch of money. That is no longer an automatic guaranteed win and a very uh, prominent artist on our blocks. You know, we were, we sat down and we had a long conversation with him and, you know, he, he, he replied, you know, we were talking about curation and all these things. And, and he said, you are not incentivizing artists to put their best foot forward to, 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 to submit their best work. And um, I think what's going to happen is, you know, generative art was a thing that people were new and exposed to. And a lot of new people were entering the space and now, for example, Artblocks is, is, is unfortunately, it's like, the, like my least favorite part of the job at this point, uh, saying no to like 80% of the projects that are coming through the pipeline. And what I'm hoping that means is that those people will go back and they will work harder, not be discouraged and then go, you know, if they want to go launch on another platform, that's fine. I'm just saying like, we should be encouraging artists to put their best work out there. And by doing so, we will see an elevation of generative art in a way that we haven't even like, you know, a lot of the best algorithms on Artblocks were actually algorithms that artists have been working on for the last four or five years that they adapted to Artblocks. 
just wait till like the most brilliant generative artists in the world are writing algorithms specifically to operate in the way that Artbox operates and to capture the community that is captured with Artbox and to capture the potential value that is captured for Artbox. We're not there yet. We're still in like this, you know, dating period where we're seeing people kind of put forth like their, their, their best pickup line and it's working in a lot of senses, but um, you know, the, the next Fidenzas, the next ringers, the next chimeras and all that, those are all going to be artworks that were created from scratch fully understanding the ecosystem, fully understanding the platforms and the technology. And uh, I cannot wait to see those things come through the mentor. Uh, and I think people will be, feel very refreshed when, when we start seeing those projects come around. Yeah, it's interesting what you say, like people actually writing their own code. Obviously, Matt Cain came on and did kind of a revolutionary drop. And you've seen a few of those which I think have really captured the spirit again um, of maybe even the original art blogs. Um, and I think, I think that's the sort of stuff that people, people will be able to experiment with. And you'll, you'll clearly get in a creative industry, some amazing things that come out of the next, of the next couple of years. Um, I don't know if, if, if you have any, um, you have any thoughts on the broader space. You've obviously been in, in the, in the market for well in the space for a long long time when did you first get into uh, in, into nfts and, and kind of what do you think have been the biggest shifts from when you first started um so when did i get into the space i got in the space in 2017 um is that what you asked when did i get in the space sorry yeah yeah, yeah basically yeah. what it was like I, back then and 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 how it maybe has shifted for you well, as well there was there was no MetaMask for starters. Uh, claiming CryptoPunks, you had to copy the the, the JSON for the uh, the ABI for the smart contract into a wallet and uh, execute smart contract function to claim a, a CryptoPunk by typing in the the number of the CryptoPunk and sending the function, sending the transaction. So way different. Wow, our can experience you tell today. Us, can I stop you here? Because yeah. we know you was the king of zombies. Can you tell us why? <laughs> Uh, I guess I'm selfish. I just, uh, I saw the post on Reddit and went to go claim CryptoPunks and saw the, the text that the artists wrote about, you know, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot of content in the artist statement of a piece. Right. And so when I read that and they specifically highlighted zombies, even though there was a lot more zombies than beanies, for example, um, to me, I was like, okay, that's the one I want. Like that's the piece I want. And you know, a, a, a bunch of y'all have probably heard this before, but literally one of the very first inspirations for Artbox was as I was claiming CryptoPunks, I realized that I was able to claim all the zombies because I was able to literally go through the 10,000 punk images and pick them all out and grab the ones I wanted. And that felt selfish to me. I mean, if I didn't do it, the next person would have. So I'm not, I don't feel that bad. But the, the idea that, you know, claiming was a matter of choice versus a matter of pseudo randomness um, to me didn't feel like it was in, uh, embracing the technology that we are being presented with. And I don't blame them. I mean, obviously they revolutionized enough just putting the whole project together, but um, yeah, no, that's, that's kind of like how I ended up with a bunch of zombies uh, and uh, uh, they funded the initial development of Artbox, which was a lot of fun. Um, and uh, you know, kind of gave me the, the, the funds to be able to, to do what you see today. So I remember, um, not long ago, when the punks were undergoing a lot of FUD, and but it was very, it was in the towards the end where it was becoming very aggressive. Um, and I think I saw you write 
on a thread or on a tweet somewhere how art blocks maybe wouldn't have been born without, I mean, wouldn't have been born. I think pretty much said that, right? That wouldn't have been born without the punks. And I think it was born through the Discord. Like, how did this whole thing start? I thought it was an interesting, like, origin story here. Yeah, you know, I had I had been tinkering with code-based art. So, I, you know, and, and actually one of the other reasons that Artbox was born is because I wanted to be able to use uh, NFTs for projection mapping, which is kind of an esoteric art form. But uh, you needed they needed to be interactive, but I still wanted them to have the provenance of being on-chain. So I wanted to put an algorithm on-chain, which is actually, again, this is very nerdy initial reasons why these things exist, but that's fine. Um, the, 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 the progression there from, you know... Um, you know, CryptoPunks, the, the idea of being able to prove ownership of a digital asset is not something I could put my, my fingers on, but like had some weird thoughts of that had been going through my mind between the January and June that they were launched, just trying to understand what a smart contract could do. And then when they launched CryptoPunks, I was like, yeah, that's it. That's exactly like what's going to revolutionize everything. And so, um, you know, that, that project inspired uh, our blocks in so many different ways. And I don't feel that our blocks would exist if it wasn't for the CryptoPunks project. But then on top of that, I, I was, um, you know, the, 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 the bellboy of the, our blocks, of the CryptoPunks Discord for like four years. I was there every single day for, for three or four years, literally, like I remember full weeks when nobody would speak. And then I would, I remember that there would be like blips of conversation for a, for a couple of days and, you know, something huge would happen. Like somebody bought a punk for 2000 bucks, um, you know, and everybody would get all excited about it. The rush didn't actually come until, um, you know, mid 2020. That's kind of when things started heating up a little bit. And I think that there is a direct link to, you know, my participation on the Artbox Discord, I mean, God, on the CryptoPunks Discord uh, and like welcoming people and helping people set up wallets and shepherding, you know, the concept and trying to talk about NFTs at a technological level and why it was so, such a brilliant concept at a, a technological level. I think there is a correlation there with like the early success of Artbox because when then I went and created my own platform uh, informed by CryptoPunks, in fact, Autoglyphs is something that, you know, um, I, I pretty much pitched a concept to Matt and John or well, just to Matt on the concept of, uh, you know, using the blockchain to generate outputs. And so whether they took that for inspiration or not, like autoglyphs validated literally was like, yep, our blocks will, will work. So it was CryptoPunks, then autoglyphs that, that gave me the courage to kind of create what I created. And then it was the community inside the CryptoPunks discord that really helped um, put our blocks on the map early on. Uh, you know, the timing could not have been more perfect. It was definitely not planned. In fact, our box was supposed to launch six months earlier, but I went really deep into uh, NBA Top Shots, like really deep to where I delayed the entire platform launch for about six months because I was trading $1 moments uh, with people trying to build full sets because I have this collector um, OCD-ness that I just kind of have to have full sets of stuff. Um, and, and yeah, I think that, you know, actually a combination of like my participation in Top Shot and my involvement in the Artbox Discord, plus I was pretty heavy in the crypto, uh, crypto voxels, uh, Discord and an early participant in that space. I think a lot of those people recognized my participation early and, uh, wanted to come and support. And I, I do believe that that has a lot to do with the early success of the platform. Eric, I've I've got to step down, but I just want to say before I go, I'm I'm really inspired by you, man. Uh, I only own 
one or two art blocks right now, hoping to change that in the future. But I, I hope you never stop. And uh, yeah, just keep going, man. Really impressive. Thank you so much. That means a lot. I appreciate it. Oh, I don't know if Mendel's rugged, but... <laughs> did OSF um, get rugged too? No, yeah, OSF, I think OSF had to go. Uh, Adriana, did I see you on mute? Oh, yeah. No, I, I, it's amazing what Eric is saying and the entire, you know, the story behind. And, and uh, I think like a lot of people that arrive here don't have that, you know, cultural side and understanding on the, on the, on the, on how all the steps that, that, that was done before and that everybody's now is like in the shoulders, like stepping on the shoulders of the past and everything. But there is one point that you, you mentioned and, and maybe you can clarify a little more. It's like, like related to the culture that you have on your team. But at the same time, I do think you have, you know, uh, you know, people that collect your art that comes from different cultures also like, you know, and, and, and I have been analyzing, you know, uh, because I live in Europe, I, I have the luxury to analyze projects that come from Asia or come from U.S. And I do feel a different perspective when a project from Europe or Asia is, you know, works different than a project from the U.S. And how you, 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 you're able to relate to your, you know, buyers and with so different, you know, cultural background. Well, first of all, it's nice to meet you. And yeah, thanks for asking that. I, um, I actually am someone that comes from a pretty multicultural background. So I was actually born in Mexico City and uh, I only lived there until I was six. But I spent a lot of time in Mexico uh, in the summers with my family. Most of my family is in Mexico. The other half of my family is actually in Spain, uh, northern Spain. And then I have some family in the Middle East. And so, you know, I spent a lot of time in my life, in uh, early life in Mexico and then also in Europe. You know, my, my dad was just kind of, he, he'd be crazy and we'd rent a car uh, in Madrid and we would drive 5,000 kilometers in a month and then come, come back and we'd just find a hotel wherever we ended up because you could, you know, really book stuff in advance too easily back then because we didn't know where we'd be. And um, that, I think, really taught me to understand uh, culture in a way that I feel very lucky, very fortunate to have. And I think that's not something that, you know, you can learn necessarily in books, but uh, just, you know, it's one of those things that I just um, could could never be more grateful, would never change anything. There was a lot of really crazy things that happened, obviously, when you do that. But um, that then led to... Um, my 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 life as a tile salesman. So like I spent the, the the first 19 years of my life coming out of college, I started a ceramic tile company. I imported tile from Spain and Italy. And um, while it feels very irrelevant and the opposite in technological uh, expertise than what we have in the NFT space, you know, I spent the next 19 years traveling, uh, you know, all over the place talking about tile with people, and especially Spain, Italy, France. Um, and so culture and international kind of understanding and being able to understand people from different cultures is something really imperative. And I think a lot to do with the success also of our blocks. Uh, you know, I, I would buy ceramic or glass tiles from China and, you know, being able to have a conversation, um, even if it's in English with someone from Asia, uh, when it's a business conversation and trying to establish trust and comfort and, um, uh, yeah, just like a long-term relationship is incredibly difficult. There are so many language barriers in texting and writing that 
you have to have you know sensitivity to uh, in order to establish a good relationship. Otherwise, you're just another American that's trying to buy you know capitalize on another foreign country. And um, I think you know my upbringing and like being so multicultural and being exposed to so many different cultures uh, from a family perspective and then also in travel uh, enabled me to. Uh, have a little bit deeper of an understanding of what I would consider to be a high context culture instead of a low context culture. Uh, and, and I think that I hope that that shows a little bit in what our box is doing, but um, it won't be for a little while longer until we can start to identify the real sources of our artists that we can really kind of um, uh, dig into that a little bit more right now. We're just kind of running, you know, flying by the seat of our pants all the time. And, um, we, you know, we know we have artists in Europe and in Asia and in Latin America, et cetera, but we, we haven't been able to actually truly dig in and understand who our artists are, who our collectors are. And that's something that we, we have planned on, on diving into this part of the year. No, for sure. Thank you. I'm originally from Brazil and live in Barcelona. So you probably have passed by here. Oh man, Barcelona is so beautiful. So I was rugged there for, for a little bit. Um, I think I think that, that that's a. Uh, I just kind of wanted to go into maybe not finally maybe we'll do it for another ten minutes or so. But you, your your history obviously with on chain art and generative art in general has always been kind of a bit more of a fringe uh, part of the traditional quote unquote art market. Have you have you you're you're clearly now traveling a lot, um, clearly in contact with people from different galleries, and I can only imagine rubbing shoulders with more and more traditional. Um, not necessarily gatekeepers, but but um, pillars of the art community. Do you think that they are slowly now starting to come around to generative art? Do you think uh, you you kind of said before you think generative art will be neck and kind of neck and neck with traditional art? But do you think that they'll kind of start to merge over the over the next few years? Um, and do you yeah do you think you're winning win, winning round a lot of these kind of pillars of of the traditional art world? I think there's a beautiful intersection here that um you know i sometimes i don't know what my role is at Artflux anymore just because we've hired such an incredible group of people that do such incredible work and you know the platform is in, in just in a really good spot internally and you know the other day in, in one of our internal meetings someone's like eric your your single most valuable asset to our blocks right now is just talking getting out there like getting to meet people because there's this you know, it's, it's interesting that you guys brought up culture that's, it's, you know, there, there's it, that I got to talk about, like elevating generative art to like an Olympic type sport. Um, that conversation, that combination of my experience in culture experience in running a business and also my, like, this is the other thing too, right? There's a, I have this undeniable passion for generative art. I have this undeniable passion for technology that, that no matter how much we stumble at our blocks, you can't actually take that away from me. You can try, but you can't like, it's actually, in, in my blood. And I think when you take that combination of things and I have the opportunity to speak to the biggest critics of NFTs, I, I feel very confident that I'm able to break through and at least, even if they still hate NFTs, at least have people walk away with a compelling use case for technology that didn't exist before. And that's my job right now. That's literally all I do. Um, and it's, so satisfying to talk to people that literally like they start the conversation, you know, kind of kicking the floor and, you know, rolling their eyes and looking around and, and by the end of it, they're engaged. And the end of the conversation is how do I get started or where do I start? I'd say that that's happened at least 10 times. That may not sound that same. I mean, it's happened dozens of times, but it's happened 10 times with people 
that are so powerful, influential in the world of art or just outside of art, that those 10 conversations might literally be the fuel that enables me to get through some of the crazy stuff that happens in our space. And uh, we continue to have these wonderful conversations and these wonderful breakthroughs. Uh, you know, we have three different applications of, gener- of, of art blocks at the Venice Biennale this year, which is, you know, one of the most significant art events in the world. You know, we will have presence at Art Basel in Basel. We will have presence at Art Basel in Miami. We were at Freeze. We were at, you know, uh, Expo Chicago. We literally have entered a very protected, very guarded space in a way that's disarming to uh, a lot, not everybody, but a lot of the people that own and operate that space. And that is, I think, the single biggest achievement of the year for us. And unfortunately, for, you know, kind of like the more hype speculative cycle, not something that people will see the benefits of for a long time. But I assure you that in the long run, some of these conversations and some of these breakthroughs will will be significantly impactful in continuing to set our blocks aside as an actually pioneering platform in a technology, um, you know, focused on art for the sake of the art itself. I think Mendel's perma-rugged. Um, <laughs> Eric, hearing you is so inspiring, honestly. It's been weird on Spaces today. We couldn't pin anything. That's why there's nothing pinned, y'all. I wish I could pin a bunch of stuff uh, for y'all to, to get it. I also got rugged for like 10 minutes earlier. But hey, Twitter, Twitter isn't working? Shocker. Shocker. I mean, it's, it's working-ish, but you know, we have quite the audience. But you know, it, it's, it's just amazing to hear everything you talk about, whether it's the mental health part, you know, the birth of art blogs, squiggles and punks and everything you, you go on about. I, I, I reshared, I wish I could pin it, but I reshared a video of, of Snowfro and I in, 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 in Miami, Art Basel, uh, where I was sitting on stage and we were talking and I didn't realize that the man next to me was Snowfro and I guess he didn't realize it. I didn't know me. what you looked like. Yeah, no, it was crazy. <laughs> I was like, what? You are the... Yeah, it was wild. I'm like, wait, Eric Calderon, I've heard the name before, but I don't know you as Eric Calderon. I know you as Snowfro. And so, and someone like, you're Snowfro? And he's like, you're Frog? I thought I was so cute and wholesome, but, um, but you guys should check it out. The video's funny. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Eric, I don't want to, you know, uh, hold you much longer. You've been here for a really long time. I'm sure you, out of all people, are very, very, very busy. So, definitely want to let you go. While I was rugged, though, did we quickly touch on, like, the lost squiggles and stuff going on right now no we didn't actually we should definitely get into that we should definitely get into that squiggles i want to know i'm curious (laughs) i want to know about that tale too i mean mando's very good with titles i'll let him intro that so people someone someone pitched it to me is this is that am i right in saying that some squiggles were not minted they didn't mint out at the time of the original squiggles and now there's going to be a I think I believe I saw even a tweet from you or someone from the Artbox team saying there might be interest in selling the remaining squiggles which weren't sold at the original primary sale. Yeah, so uh, when I started Artbox, I made squiggles in addition of 10,000, naively thinking that they would last over a year, maybe two, at $10 a piece because, you know, what the hell? Like, this is 
a crazy new thing and it's a very niche nerdy little thing of generative art. I didn't actually think they would sell that fast. So right around like the seven, no, the 5,000 mint mark, I announced that I was going to stop the minting of Chromie squiggles at the 9,000 squiggle mark so that I could then like let them live a little bit longer, let people enjoy that, uh, the process of minting, which, you know, I, yeah, I, I think is a really special thing and was really validated by the fact that last week we had a uh, minting experiment on our block because we have a bunch of new minters that we're releasing. And we, we revitalized the Chromie Squiggle on Ropston, which is a worthless output. But people had the experience of minting Chromie Squiggles in the degen fashion that many people, you know, when Squiggles came out, a few different people minted 300 to 1,000 Squiggles each there was no way of buying more than one squiggle at a time. So these people literally like pressed mint a thousand times and watched the output. And it was described as kind of an addicting thing, um, just people enjoying the process. And so I wanted to stop and I wanted to be able to have these squiggles. And I started, uh, so I, um, I was distracted. And so the squiggles minted to 9,047, I think. And the purpose was then to just give them away moving forward. So I started to give them away. In fact, last year I gave away like over 200 squiggles to people. It felt a lot better when I was giving away a squiggle that was worth 50 or a hundred or even a thousand dollars. It actually, for me personally, and I think it's okay every now and then for the artist to have a little bit of personal joy and satisfaction from what they do. I started losing the satisfaction when squiggles started being worth 5,000, 10,000, eventually 20, and sometimes even 40,000 at the floor. I lost the satisfaction of gifting them. Not only is there like this tax implication that's completely insane, but also it's now like writing a check like for a car. It just doesn't feel the same. It, it felt, in some cases, it felt like I was, you know, like, um, what's the word? Uh, well, anyway, so it, it just didn't feel right. So, um, number one, number two, I, I have more stuff I want to create, but I can't be a hypocrite and say, I want to drop another art box drop when I still have an open drop, especially with the fact that we don't allow other artists to do that. So it would be very hypocritical for me to release more work. Three, based on how strict curation is now, art blocks would probably not even accept my next work. And I'm not even joking. Like it's definitely not, you know, at the caliber of like some of the stuff that's that's being put out there with the exception that it has meaning to it. And I, you know, we do balance a little bit of meaning and cultural relevance with like the technical quality of the algorithm. So that combined with the fact that like, I don't like um, uh, just having that many, it, there's a lot of value in unminted squiggles. And, and also combined with the fact that I'm now represented by a traditional art world gallery, uh, Venus over Manhattan, which to me is kind of a crazy dream come true. And I still wake up every morning and be like, what the hell is going on? Like, th there's just all these things coming together. We need to, we need to get rid of squirrels. Like we need to get them all minted out. There's, you know, we have a multi-sig that enables the minting process with, you know, multiple signers. And even that just still feels very weird and insecure. The fact that like they're still out there. And so um, I am releasing 300 squiggles for sale right now, and that's going to leave me 400 squiggles after that. I'm going to uh, mint 100 squiggles to a trust that I'm working on with some lawyers to for my children. So my children will get 100 of those free mints of the of the next mints, and then I'm still left You're with adopting? 100. Huh? You adopting? Adopting? No, I have two children. Oh, can I? I just thought I could be a third one. You know? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. 33 each. Um, and so then that'll leave me with 300 and then there's actually some kind of murmurs of institutional interest in collecting squiggles. And so I would like to have some to be able to mint to them. And then Artblocks is potentially interested in actually acquiring some squiggles so that they can at a more corporate level decide what to do with them. And so eventually 
I'm hoping that by the end of the year, all of the squiggles are minted out. It's a, it's, it's a wonderful thing to have control over, but it's actually a really weird, it's hard to describe it, but it's a really weird burden to also have control over um, that much potential value. And um, so anyways, yeah. So minting 300 squiggles, uh, people that signed up for this list uh, a few weeks back, and there will probably be a couple more minting things. And hopefully by the end of the year, they'll all be minted out. And, you know, it's interesting because I've, I've donated all of the proceeds of any squiggles that were sold last year to charity. And um, this year I was hit with a really massive tax bill for gifting squiggles because there is value in the squiggle. And so uh, I <laughs> total surprise, but by gifting over 200 squiggles, like it put me in a really weird tax situation. Whoa. And so I actually you know, as an artist, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, uh, you know, 9,000 squiggles were minted for roughly 150,000 bucks, which at the time was an insane amount of money. But when you look at what things are today, like it just, it's kind of nuts. And I'm actually kind of looking forward to, you know, directly benefiting from the sale of the squiggle, of the success of the squiggle. So I'm going to mint 300, probably donate another 100, probably place another 100, hopefully with some institutions that are interested give a hundred to my children. And then that last hundred either go to our box or we'll do one more mint at the end. I don't know. It's hard to tell, but that's kind of what's happening with the squiggles. And uh, I'm actually just really looking forward to them being, um, being minted out. Like it's going to be wonderful to have a closed edition of 10,000 and not these lingering uh, mints. Inter- wow. Uh, Eric, you've, you've heard of uh, Forrest Fenn, right? The story no. of Forrest Fenn. L- look it up, but he's uh right of that hid treasure in a desert and left uh, a treasure map to find it. Uh, oh, it could be something fun already, to do. Yeah. <laughs> there's already, there's so there's already some of that out there. I just, am, you know, people have to figure it out on their own, but also there's a, a movie called, uh, what is it? A wild, wild world or it's a great, oh, man, I can't remember. But anyways, there's this movie that I watched when I was a kid and they had this thing hidden under the big W of palm trees. And I definitely want to do something like that, but I've also heard stories of people, it's a mad, mad world. I've also heard stories about people like, you know, getting really hurt and chasing stuff like that or trying to find stuff like that. And so I also don't want to hurt anybody. Um, but there is for at least right now, there is at least one squiggle uh, hidden in the wild. Um, and, um, you know, I, I fully intend on there being more of them as well with like the remaining squiggles. Any hints? Nope. Damn. So where do people like start though? <laughs> you know, I don't know. It's, it's staring uh, a lot of people in the face right now, but you know, there's, um, but there'll be, there'll be a lot more of them in the future. So, you know, I just, I need to, in fact, I, you know, if there was a consultant group of creatives that like, that's what they did is help people design incredible treasure hunts. Like I would probably want to speak to them and, and, and have them help me <laughs> call an escape room. Call, call yeah, escape exactly. Room like a, yeah. an international escape room. That's kind of what we need. I love that. I, I absolutely love that. The idea of, of NFT treasure being being buried somewhere. Um, I think you'll see that a lot, actually. We've already kind of seen that sort of experimentation, even from like the creator side. But um, what you just said is, is a very cool way of doing it as well. Like you clearly have. So how, how many are going to be released? Was it you said? So May 9th, we're going to mint yeah. 300 squiggles. Right. In one transaction. Actually, probably in three ETH transactions uh, from the multi-sig. And then um, I, hopefully just a, a few weeks after that, I'll mint the, the trust for my kids, another hundred squiggles. Uh, and then um, 
and then yeah just working with adam lindemann from vs over manhattan on a strategy on on how to get the rest of them into people's hands it's very meaningful for me i know you know we we want to like 100 percent be in the web3 space but like there are 9,300 squiggles available in the Web3 space on OpenSea. It's very minimal. It's very meaningful for me for people from the traditional art world to collect uh, my art. And, um, I, you know, we, I'm also very mindful of the gating mechanisms of the traditional art world. And we are here to kind of break those up a little bit. So I'm not necessarily interested in creating that uh, with a Web3 product, which is why we're doing this Mint of 300 in a kind of hybrid, you know, Web3 way. Um but like, it is very meaningful for me to have traditional art world collectors, potentially their first NFT be a squiggle, not that they were gifted, but that they actually like paid for. And so one of the things that we're going to work on with Adam at the end of this sale is setting aside some squiggles that he can work with his collectors uh, in the traditional art world to place um, like one by one in an individual basis. And, you know, I'm, I'm really excited about that. Maybe I shouldn't, you know, maybe the ethos of Web3 says that, you know, that's not what I should be excited about, but I am gen- like genuinely excited about someone that collects a James Terrell piece uh, owning a Chromie Squiggle. Um, and that's already happened and it was very meaningful for me. And, you know, it, it would be cool to see more of that as well. In fact, wow. if I could have an allow list of uh, Chromie Squiggle mints for the next, I don't know, two weeks that anyone that owns a real James Terrell piece is allowed to, 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 I mean, I know this is stupid, right? But like, this is kind of wild as well. Like why not give utility to people that bought traditional art? Like prove to me that you own a James Terrell and I'll allow list you for the next Squiggle mint, you know? That's so good. Dude, I'm hyped to see what comes out of those Squiggles, man. We know some of them are wild. Like I, I'm more excited, like, you know, how many... I'm just excited to see which ones come out of there because we've seen some insane squiggle sales in the past and some crazy stuff. But, you know, I hope, I hope, um, so far, I hope the people that are going to get them know that they move. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. I think little by little <laughs> that is finally becoming more common. But, you know, this is a perfect example. Yesterday's curated drop, it's this really beautiful kind of like, looks like uh, Northern Lights with some colors. But I think mm-hmm. a lot of people might not know that you can click it and it, it turns into this like live soundscape piece. And I think there's something special about those little Easter eggs. I think it's nice not to put everything out on the table at once. But, you know, there's there's different oh, wow. strategies. I'm looking at it now. That's... I can hear it in your headphones. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty special. So, yeah. Wow. They are special. Oh, I just completed. Yeah, yeah. It sold out when we were on the call. That's really cool. Yeah, I think when you mentioned it was the first curated project, they didn't sell it right away. I think people went, that's cool. Some people may have just gotten the first Artblocks curated piece for a really be, good that price. Would make, that would make me so happy to know. I mean, it really means so much when you get new people participating in this in this whole thing. That's awesome. Well, I think we can wrap it, Mando. What do you think? This was really, really, really great show. It, one of my favorite ones, actually. Yeah, it was a so great far. show. And, yeah. And as as per normal, the great shows always have the roadmap which gets completely rubbed, which which completely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we don't deliver on the roadmap on this show every day, but you know what? We have great conversations. We have a great yeah. conversation today, yeah. I really appreciate you guys having me on here and, and listening to me ramble about these things that are so meaningful to me and, and hopefully more and more meaningful to the people that are in this space for the long term. No, I think I think everyone in this space learn a lot and it's just it's just very 
empowering speaking to somebody um, and hearing somebody who's being so candid about their history in the space and the ups and downs of it. Like um, I knew, I knew you'd be an incredible guest for that reason because I've listened to you on Spaces before, um, or at least on shows before. And I just think it was a it was a very very good time for people to maybe hear about that who's who've been going through a lot of stress and obviously this year has already already been you know ups and downs from creators, collectors, artists, everyone. So um, really really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing that with that with us. Likewise, thanks for having me. So I, I think I think we'll call it then. We'll do we'll do this again tomorrow. Um, are you still in LA, Farouk? Are we are we still going to do this at eleven thirty? Yeah, we can go back to regular scheduled programming from Monday. Cool. So tomorrow, 11.30 a.m., we'll be back again. Um, we will hopefully, or maybe not hopefully, return to a roadmap structure and hopefully uh, <laughs> hopefully, Twitter can allow us to at least pin stuff by, yeah, by that stage. It. But thanks, uh, oh, thanks yeah. everyone, for coming on. We'll, we'll speak to you again all tomorrow. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, You'll have a nice Peace day. Peace out. Take care. Thanks, Eric. Love you, dude. Big hugs.